Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Good Risings, I'm Liz Earnshaw, and this is Hash It Out. Happy Wednesday, welcome back. This week we are talking about conflict, but we are talking about the type of conflict that we often don't learn skills to manage. When people teach conflict resolution skills, they're often teaching skills that have to do with the type of conflict that occurs when we are still able to be present in our bodies and when we're still able to access our relational skills. So skills like humor, affection, problem solving, curiosity. Sometimes though, our conversations feel like a threat. And when our conversations feel threatening, and this doesn't mean they actually are threatening, it could mean that we feel like we're not getting anywhere. It could mean that we believe that our partner doesn't care about us, any of these types of things. And of course, those things are emotionally threatening. But when I said it doesn't feel like a threat, I meant it might not be physically threatening. Either way, what happens is we start to have a neurobiological experience in which parts of our brain are actually shut off. And so we can't access those relational things we would need to be able to do. Anyway, What's really important is that we learn how to navigate that when it's happening. What tends to happen, unfortunately, is that couples will keep trying to do the things that they've learned should work. They'll keep trying to express themselves. They'll keep saying, why aren't you listening to me? Because they they think their partner should be listening. The thing is, is that in these moments when you are physiologically overwhelmed, you can't listen to each other. You can't express yourselves very well. So today, I'm going to read to you a listener question, and then I'm going to answer it by giving tips on what to do in these types of situations. All right, let's dive into the question. Dear Liz, when my husband and I get into arguments, we never seem to get anywhere. We yell at each other, we blame each other, and then often we threaten each other with things like separation or divorce. After we calm down, we recognize that this is not actually what we want, and we tend to come up with a solution for the problem later on. However, I want us to figure out how to stop having these types of arguments. They're really damaging, they're really hurtful, and they're exhausting. Any tips? All right. So many of you listening might see yourselves in this question. So many of us have had arguments where we say things we don't mean, we do things we don't mean, and then later on, when we're calm, we recognize that. So what can we do to either prevent or to stop action when these types of conversations happen? I want to introduce to you what I call the hard conversations model of navigating hot conversations. So let's look at what that model looks like, and I'm going to explore how you can begin to use it in your own relationships. At its baseline, the 
entire job that you have when you notice that the conversation has gone offline, has run off the rails, is to reduce threat. It is not to come up with a solution. It is not to convince the other person of your position. It is not to get a listener or to be a better speaker. It's to reduce threat and increase security. And so you do that by remembering this mnemonic hard. First, H, you halt conversation. Two, A, you attend to safety needs. Three, R, you repair. And four, D, you debrief. In these moments, the goal is really to not understand each other at all or to come up with solutions. We have to calm the nervous system so that we can restore your relational capacities. This is so incredibly important. So let's look at what it means to halt. That's the first part. If we experience social threat, the belief that I'm going to be excluded or punished or shamed or trapped or abandoned, there's going to be a primal anxiety that takes over. So even if there's not physical threat, your body's going to respond like there is. It doesn't do a good job differentiating risk. You go into fight or flight and you react in a reactive and self-protective way. What you need to do in these moments is to recognize that you're in that place so that you stop and you need to halt the conversation. And you have to do this as soon as you notice that you or your partner is experiencing a threat response. And this is how you notice that they're doing that. If your partner's face starts to look like they're looking away from you, they're aloof, they're staring up into the corner of the room, if they're kicking their foot or bouncing their knee, if they're looking into the distance or up at the ceiling, if they're taking deep inhales so they're going, (gasps) if they're bear hugging, if they're sitting with their legs crossed, if their lips are pursed, if they're being really critical or defensive or withdrawn or contemptuous. These are all signs that they are physiologically flooded. That's what we call it when you experience that threat response. And if you think about it, all of those things are things that people do to comfort themselves, right? Kicking your foot, looking away, sighing. These are all things that people are doing to try to comfort their body. If you see your partner doing that, you need to stop. Now, You also need to stop if you recognize that you're struggling. So if your heart rate is elevated, if you feel sweaty, if your mouth is getting dry, if you can't get your words out, if you are so stuck in the conversation that you feel like you you can't get those words out of your mouth, so you're silent or you're looking away from your partner, or if you can't stop yourself from how critical you are or defensive you are or withdrawn or contemptuous, it's a sign that the conversation's not going to go anywhere and you have to halt. So you're going to say something in those moments like, this isn't going anywhere, I need a break. You're going to find a way to end that conversation. Now you might be wondering, what happens if I say that and my partner says, no, we're not going to take a break. I need to keep talking because you know they're still overwhelmed. That's the next piece of this. But first, you're going to ask for a break. You can say, I think I'm flooded. I need a break. Let's take a break. I can see we need to come back to this later, or I want to take a moment to calm down. Can we take a break? Then you're going to attend. So you're going to attend to attachment needs, right? 
We're creating security. We're reducing threat. So when you say, I think I'm flooded and I need a break, your partner is going to feel threatened by that. So your job in that moment is to say something like, I love you. I will be back after my walk. So I think I'm flooded, I need a break, and then I'm attending to your attachment needs by saying something like, I love you and I'll be back after my walk, or we'll get through this, or we'll talk about this when I'm calm. Then what you need to do is you need to attend to yourself. That means that it's your job to get your nervous system back under control. You have to take deep breaths, go for a walk, do something that soothes your mind, nurture yourself with food or water or a shower or stretch your body. Any of those things can help. So after you say that we're going to need to take a break, so you halt, after you attend to your partner and to yourself, it's going to take about 20 minutes for those stress hormones to dump from your bloodstream. So you need to give each other a real break. When you come back together, before you jump back into the conversation, there's a couple things you have to do. One is you have to repair. There's a lot of ways to repair that can be very quick. Hey, honey, I'm really sorry about what just happened. Hey, can we have a hug? Making a joke. So some ways that people repair are that they use pet names, they show curiosity, they add humor, they offer physical affection, they ask for a restart, tend to attachment, apologize, take responsibility, talk about feelings, do a helpful task. So something like, hey, I got you some coffee. Can we talk now? All right. So you took a break for 20 minutes. During those 20 minutes, you attended to your nervous system. You came back, you quickly repaired. And then, and actually before I move on, the reason we do this quick repair is because these things signal to the other person that it's safe, right? And our whole job in this situation is to create safety. That's our whole job. All right, so the next thing that you want to be able to do is debrief. Debrief means that you've halted, you've attended to your nervous system, you've made repairs. Now you're gonna talk about what the heck happened. You're not gonna go back into that conversation that you were having. You're not going to go back into deciding where you wanna live or what you wanna do with finances. You're gonna talk about what in the world just happened between you and the other person. And so you're going to let the other person notice what you might have been feeling during that moment, what you experienced. You're gonna talk about patterns and then you're gonna talk about what you're responsible for and what you can do better next time. So when you debrief, four questions that might really help are what happened? Do we notice a pattern? What are we responsible for? And what should we do next time? So just a reminder, when you get into hot conversations, the four things you need to do, it's the mnemonic hard, halt, attend, repair, debrief. And hopefully doing those things will help you to navigate those cycles differently so that over time you trust each other more, you feel safer with each other, and your conflicts do not become so hot. Thank you so much for listening to me today. I am Liz Earnshaw. I'm the author of I Want This to Work, and you can find me on Instagram at Liz Listens. Thank you for listening to Good Risings. We love having you here, and we love hearing from you. So if you have a moment, please leave us a review. Until next time, love on your loved ones, and when that gets hard, tune in to me to hash it out. Good Risings is presented by Cavalry Audio. 
Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.